This morning we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark. We have made it to the end of the ninth chapter where Jesus warns his disciples about setting a godly life example for others. Our text today is Mark 9, verses 42 through 50. Let me read it for you. It says, And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with each other. Let's take a moment and pray. Dear Father, I thank you so very much for this opportunity to share. And God, I pray that you'll bless me as I share your son's words here and his teachings. And God, I pray that you'll open our hearts, you open our minds, you open our ears to hear your message today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. There's one verse in the New Testament that I find especially convicting. James 3, verse number 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. For, for the last 50 years, I have thought about that verse as I prepared and presented sermons and lessons. As a teacher and preacher, I'm going to be judged more strictly. Because what I say can either lead people in the right direction towards God or in the wrong direction away from Him. And so I want to make sure that my preaching and teachings comes from the truths of God's Word. And I also want to make sure that my life reflects those same truths. And as you know and as God knows, I do a better job of presenting truth than living truth. And for that, I will be judged, and judged more strictly. But I don't want any of us to think that, that we are not going to escape God's judgment. Just as Jesus expects me to live out his teachings, I mean, he expects you also to live out his teachings. That's what it means to be one of his disciples, learning from him and living like him. We are in a section of Mark where Jesus is teaching his disciples, some in-depth lessons. Two weeks ago, he taught us a couple of lessons about pride and humility. And today, he teaches us a lesson about setting a godly example for others. And he introduces that topic in Mark nine forty-two. And if anyone causes one of these little children who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. Remember earlier in Jesus' teaching that day, 
he took a little child and had him stand among them. And he told his disciples that they were, walk, they were to welcome little children like this small boy in his name. Though kids in that day were considered insignificant in Jewish society, they were significant to Jesus, and they should be significant to us as his disciples. Now this little boy is still standing there among them, and Jesus warns. He warns his disciples and us, if we cause little children who believe in him to stumble and be led away from God, he says it would be better for us to have a large millstone hung around our neck and be thrown into the sea. Now you have all probably seen pictures of a large donkey-driven millstone grinding grain. And that millstone, that's the millstone that Jesus is describing here. Imagine having one of those millstones tied to your neck and being thrown into sea. It would be an agonizing death. Of course, Jesus is not suggesting that we drown people who cause children and others to stumble spiritually. Instead, he is using an exaggeration to make the point that a person who leads others astray spiritually will suffer judgment at the hands of God a more severe judgment than being suddenly and violently drowned into the sea. Putting it positively, Jesus expects his disciples to set a godly life example for others. That includes children, but it also includes includes all of God's children, no matter how young or how old. That's the theme of Jesus' lesson, setting a godly example for others. And according to Jesus, there are two drastic steps that we must take if we're going to set a godly example for others. The first drastic step is removing the negatives from your life. Removing those things from our lives that may cause others to stumble spiritually and go astray. Jesus shared three negatives that need to be cut out of our lives. Number one is removing the negatives in what we do. He taught in Mark 9, 43, we're working through the text, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maim than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. Please understand that Jesus is not suggesting that we literally cut off our hand if it causes us to sin, but that we take radical action. We take radical action to cut out of our lives the sinful activities that we do because those sinful activities may lead others astray. Jesus, again, is exaggerating to make the point that such spiritual surgery cannot be done casually. We need to cut out the sinful activities of our life the way that a surgeon removes an infected limb to protect the health of the rest of the body. He cuts out all the infection, and we must cut out all the sinful infection from our lives. Sinful activities, if left unchecked, can send a person to hell. And we certainly don't want that for ourselves, and we shouldn't want that for others. The word for hell used here is the word Gehenna, which describes the valley of Hinnom, outside of Jerusalem. It was in this valley that the children of Israel 
in the Old Testament had sacrificed children to the false gods of the Canaanites. And because of that great sin, King Josiah made this valley into Jerusalem's garbage dump. And it was still a garbage dump in Jesus' day with constantly rotting garbage and smoldering fire. I mean, that's what hell is like. It is a real place, a real place of suffering and destruction. Of course, as Christians, we we don't have to be concerned with hell for ourselves. Through our faith in Jesus and His sacrifice, our sins are forgiven by God. But as Christians, we should want nothing to do with sin. Not for ourselves and not as a witness to others. We should just simply strive to cut out sin from our lives. That's the first negative that Jesus and Paul want us to cut out of our lives. Paul says it this way in Romans 6, verses 12 and 13. Do not let sin control the way that you live. Do do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have been made alive. So so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. And so we need to remove the negatives in what we do. The number two negative is we need to remove the negatives in where we go. Our feet can take us in the right direction or our feet can take us in the wrong direction. And Jesus says in Mark 9, 45, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. Again, Jesus is calling for radical action. Whenever our feet are headed in the wrong direction, we need to do an about-face and turn our feet in the right direction. We don't want to go down the wrong road, and we don't want to lead others down that same road. Whether we realize it or not, other people are watching the choices that we make in our lives. Our kids and grandkids can see the moral decisions that we make. Our neighbors and friends can observe our life patterns. Our co-workers and and family can know our life's direction. And we should want none of that to lead them astray spiritually. That's why the Old Testament and New Testament encourages us to be careful where our feet takes us. Why Solomon wrote in Proverbs 4.26, Give faithful thought to the pass of your, of your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. Don't just let life happen. Be careful. Give careful thought to where your feet are taking you. Make sure that it is taking you in the right direction. The Apostle Paul taught something similar in Ephesians five fifteen through 17. He said, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. As disciples of Jesus, the direction of our lives should be focused on doing the Lord's will. Not doing our own will, not doing the world's will, but carefully and wisely doing God's will. 
And that requires removing the, the second negative, removing the negatives in where you go. And the number three negative, according to Jesus, is removing the negatives in what you see. Jesus continued, Mark 9, 47 and 48. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Once more, Jesus calls for radical action. We are to pluck out our eyes if they cause us to sin. We are to cut out of our lives the negatives in what we see, like the sins of lust and covetousness and envy and jealousy. Jesus recognized that our spiritual health is determined by our spiritual sight. Listen to something that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Our eyes can be either healthy or unhealthy. With our eyes, we can see what God wants for our lives, or with our eyes, we can see what the world offers. And the spiritual health of our eyes and our lives are determined by what gets the most attention. Is it what God wants for us or is it what the world offers? The challenge for each of us as disciples of Jesus is to keep our focus on what God wants for our lives. There is something that Job did in the Old Testament that it would be good, I think, for all of us to do. And that is to make a covenant with our eyes. Job said in, 30, in Job 31, verse number 1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Job's covenant was about lust, and maybe that needs to be our covenant. Or maybe our eye covenant needs to be about coveting what others have. Or about envying how others look or being jealous of what others can do. We simply need to take extreme action to remove the negatives in what we see. Because as I said earlier, if our spiritual sight is left unchecked, it can send people to hell. And we certainly don't want that for ourselves, and we don't want that for others. Hell is a terrible place, a, a terrible place like a garbage dump. Where Jesus says the worm never dies and the fire never goes out. You know, a good way to remember these lessons of removing the negatives from our life is to remember a song I learned as a child. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see, for the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little ones, what you do. That brings us to the second drastic step that Jesus says we must take if we're going to set a godly example before others. And that is developing the positives in our lives. And it's interesting, Jesus uses salt to illustrate all three positives that he wants us to develop. Salt was used back in that day for three purposes. 
It was used to cleanse a cut. It was used to flavor food. And it was used to preserve meats. And I think we'll see these three purposes for salt in the three positives that Jesus desires for us to develop. The number one positive is developing the positives in in the way that we endure trials. Jesus said it simply in Mark 9, 49, everyone will be salted with fire. It seems that no one is exactly sure what Jesus meant by that statement. But the only other place in the Bible where salt and fire are mentioned together is in the Old Testament. Certain sacrifices required that the sacrifices be salted before it was given. The salt was thought to purify or cleanse the sacrifice. Fire also is a way of purifying metals to make them purer and stronger. Life and life's sacrifices have a way of purifying us. And life's fires have a way of making us purer and stronger. One of the greatest testimonies that we have as disciples of Jesus is how we handle the trials of life. And I believe he's encouraging us here to handle them positively in a way that brings glory to his name. The Apostle Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 1 verses 6 and 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, while you, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor, when Jesus Christ is revealed. Every one of us will face trials in our lives. And these trials are are, are intended to purify and strengthen our faith, to bring praise and glory and honor to God. No one, no one enjoys trials. No one looks forward to the difficult times. But when we handle trials of life with faith, and patience, it is a powerful witness to others. And so the first positive that he wants us to develop is the positives in the way you handle trials. The, the number two positive is developing the positives in the way you han- enhance others. Salt is to enhance the flavor of food, and we are to enhance other people's lives. Look at what Jesus taught, first part of Mark 9, verse 50. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? That sounds a lot like what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse number 13. You are the salt of the world, but, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I don't know about you, but I like a little salt. It it makes some bland foods more, more edible, and it makes many other foods more tasty. In the same way, we as Christians are to flavor the world around us. We are to enhance the lives of those around us. We are to affect others positively for Jesus. But what happens if salt loses its saltiness. 
Our salt today doesn't lose its saltiness. But back in Bible times, salt was often contaminated with other minerals. And after some times, the salt developed a terrible taste and had to be thrown out. The same thing can happen to us. We can become contaminated with the world's practices and lose our ability to flavor the world around us. We lose our ability to impact others' lives for Jesus. On one hand, people, we are to make it a priority to influence the world spiritually. If we make it a priority to be a godly life example before others, we can change the world one person at a time. And that's my constant prayer for us, that we will make a difference for Him in the world. And that, again, key part, is developing the positives in the way you enhance others. And then number three, positive. And and that is developing the positives in the way you preserve peace. As salt preserves me, Jesus' disciples are to preserve peace. Look at the last part of Mark 9.50. Where Jesus said, have salt in yourself and be at peace with each other. We are living in a time of division and discord. And Jesus wants his disciples to bring peace amidst this division and discord. The Apostle Paul set the standard for us in Romans 12 verse 18. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. That is the goal that Jesus wants for our lives, to live at peace with everyone. Now, Paul recognized it's an impossible goal, and yet each of us should be striving to live at peace with those around us, beginning right here in in the church body. We can't be salt preserving peace out there in the world if, if there is not peace first between us. We simply need to have peace in here if we expect to have peace out there. The Apostle Paul gives us the following advice. Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Jesus wants us to be ambassadors of his peace, to be ambassadors to those outside of the church. We must be wise in how we live among those who are not yet believers. We must make the most of every opportunity to share Jesus, his love, and his message. Our conversation must always be full of grace. Our words must be like salt, tasty, and creating a thirst for more. Everyone, everyone deserves the right to know Jesus and the peace that he can bring. That last positive is so important. Developing the positives in the way you preserve peace. Again, this is radical teaching here. Jesus wants us to set a godly example for others And to do that, we need to remove the negatives from our lives, and we need to develop the positives. 
Let, let me share some practical applications before I close. Number one, remember that Jesus wants you as one of his disciples to set a godly life example for others. He wants you to be an example for children and for adults. Now, number two, recognize that you cannot by yourself remove the negatives and develop the positives in your life. That's the standard that God has set for us, and we can't do it ourselves. That's so important to recognize. Now, number three, take radical action along with the Holy Spirit and your church family to set a godly example for others. We're going to need God's help, and we're going to need each other's help if we're going to accomplish what, what, what Jesus has taught here. And then last of all, whenever you fail in your example to others, seek God's forgiveness and help to remove the negatives and develop the positives in your life. Let, let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you so very much for this opportunity to share. And God, I pray that you'll help us not just to be hearers now of your word, but doers of us. And so, God, work in each of our lives. God, I pray for those who are already believers that, that again, we will set good examples for others. I pray also for those who are not yet believers that, again, you'll use us to lead them. Work now in our lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I also want you to let you know that, that we'll be glad to pray for you. If you've got a prayer need, uh, just let us know about it. Uh, feel free to call our church phone, leave a message there. Our telephone number, 217-379-4443. And then also, uh, be free to, to share a prayer concern uh, through our, our webpage. There's a contact page there. Just share, and, and we guarantee that we will pray. We will pray for your concern. Uh, we want God to work in your life. And we pray that God will work this next week. And so have a great week. We look forward to sharing with you again next Sunday.